Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. I'm Seth Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Now, when it comes to mental health and well-being, Fleur Hazelwood is an expert. Fleur is the author of award-winning book, Resilience Recipes, which provides well-being and stress management strategies that can help us all sleep a little better. While her new book, Leading Wellbeing, provides a framework for better managing the health and well-being of your staff. She joins us today to share her top tips to help you make well-being part of your day-to-day. Fleur, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Welcome. So great to have you here. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Excellent. Now, it's not the first time we've had you on the show for a bit of a chat. Um, I think last time was right after the release of your book, Resilience Recipes. So I'm sure you have plenty more about resilience to be telling us and our listeners today. Um, But how are you going in terms of your resilience? Yeah, resilience is one of those really interesting things. So in terms of my overall resilience strategies um, really well, something that's really important, I guess, when it comes to resilience is actually understanding that it's a capability and a capacity that you can develop and you can also increase. And having resilience doesn't mean that you're not getting buffered around by life's ups and downs. Um, I absolutely am like every, like everyone else. I go through highs and lows and peaks and troughs and great stuff and not so great stuff. But the great thing about developing resilience is, it, well, particularly for me anyway, it gives me a toolkit for recognising when maybe my stress is a little bit out of control and the opportunity to sort of like downregulate or, or re-regulate to to, to bring some some calm and centering to my world. Mm. I imagine there's probably quite a few people listening that are feeling a lot of stress at the moment. Certainly there's financial pressures mounting for a lot of people. If that is something that resonates for them and they are feeling that stress, what are, what are a few little things that might help in the day-to-day to alleviate that pressure? The first thing I encourage people to um, think about when they're starting to feel their stress temperature rising or they're starting to feel a little bit out of control is to just understand and recognise that you're not alone in this. Many people are doing it tough at the moment and it doesn't mean that you're not coping any better or worse than, than anyone else. It just means that you're a human being. And often we'll put pressure on ourselves because we see other people coping around us and we think, hey, I should be able to do this as well. And so the first thing that we need to do is have a little bit of compassion and to take some pressure off ourselves. Because if you think about our context, we've actually just come out of three years of one of the hardest times, I guess, in you know the, the period of our, you know, our most recent and, mod- and modern world. So we've had three years worth of pandemic where we've dug deep, we've had to figure out changes to home life, we've had to figure out changes to work, we've 
gone from the office to home. We're going from the office, um, you know, the home back back to back to office. And the reality is, is all this change and uncertainty and ambiguity is exhausting. And so, coming into this new period where we've got that economic uncertainty, we've got inflation, we've got interest rates, we've got you know a real concern now around financials. Many of us are coming into this period needing to dig deep from a base where we're already not feeling so great. We're already a little bit exhausted. And so, the first thing I really encourage people to do is just to, just to just to stop and take a breather and actually recognise what it is that you've managed and how successfully you've managed where you've been and just to be a little bit gentle and kind to yourself as as you move forward. And so when we're talking through strategies, the first one is actually being aware when you're feeling a little bit bit wobbly. Second strategy I encourage people, I guess, to 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 to, to stop and do is just to to simply breathe. One of the things we do when we're a little bit stressed is our breathing becomes short and shallow and we can almost like hyperventilate, which actually exacerbates our stress. If we can slow down and breathe from our bellies and actually just focus on our out breath and reducing that hyperventilation, then we can actually re-regulate and help our biology to help us create a little bit of space between what what we might be experiencing in terms of those stressors and then giving us some space to able, to be able to figure out figure out what what to do with it. And so we can just do some sort of like small simple things to to create to, to create ourselves some some space first up. And then and I guess this is where resilience recipes um, helps um, Seth, every single one of us is unique and different. So some people will be great at managing um, managing stress when we're under under pressure, and then maybe fall over in a bit of a heap afterwards after the emergency's passed. So that's my particular pattern. Other of us are not so great when we're under pressure and under stress. And we kind of like fall over in the moment, but we've got like a good amount of resilience and energy that helps us um, sustain for for for, for, the, for the for the longer course. And so it's around recognizing what your pattern is. And then doing some some research around what what kind of strategies are going to best work for what's going on for you at the time, and not to compare yourself with other people. That's hard, isn't it? <laughs> people are so often comparing themselves to other people, and particularly in terms of how you manage stress. You know, I'm reasonably laid back. I think you can probably tell from my demeanour. I'm pretty pretty calm, laid back person, um, and I know a lot of my friends are actually the opposite of that they have this high kind of pent-up energy and they're always like oh like you never get stressed you're so laid back and and but I also think how do you have that high-end energy all the time it's it's, would be really full-on for me to have that so I think there's there's balances and checks for both of us probably absolutely and one of the things that helps us to recognize exactly as you've you know just shared um Cess is that people have different patterns and reactions to stress. And we saw this play out, particularly during the early stages of COVID, um, you know, as a, I guess, as a general community, we were under an extreme amount of pressure and the stress was playing out in, in, in different ways. So, for example, some people will double down on the rules and rules and, and order. And we had a lot of people getting upset about people breaking the rules. We also had other people when they're under um, stress who will rebel against the rules. And we saw that, didn't we, with some of those extremes around fighting over toilet paper in the supermarket and pickets at Bondi Beach and and things like that. 
And what's really important to understand is that there's no right or wrong when it comes to our stress response, but where it's helpful is to recognize what our stress response is and what we need in, in, in the moment and to be a little bit gentle with stress responses that are, that are different to our own. Because often the opposite stress response to ours can be quite aggravating and almost, you know, we, we, we can allow that, you know, to, 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 to fester within us. So, you know, the rule breakers were getting really angry with the rule compliance. The rule compliance people were getting really, really angry with the, with the rule breakers. And, of course, what we were finding then is, is we were feeding off each other's, like, stress energy in those stress cycles. And we were, you know, we were, we were um, almost, you know, accelerating and making each other worse as opposed to actually recognising that we're all human beings and actually we're not coping in or weren't coping in, 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 in different ways and to be able to, to put that down. Mm. Um, and you were saying, you know, recognising uh, your stress level and also recognising the place that we've come from these these two, three years of the pandemic that have already placed these significant stresses on us. So in terms of that, I guess there's a lot of people that are, you know, struggling with burnout, their output for their jobs suddenly, you know, people got fired left, right and centre. There was, everyone had to take on more responsibilities, more like roles got converged and, and merged and suddenly people were doing so much more than they ever had before, but in the same amount of time and also at home while managing their kids. <laughs> like, how do we know whether actually we might need a rest, you know. It might be time to take a bit of a break and treat ourselves to a holiday because it seems like with small business owners as well, they're often reluctant to take time off. There's always some other thing that they've got to do and and with the pandemic that just seems to be really exacerbated. Yes, one of the things that we've learned over these last few years is that almost our older or more traditional mental frame was you know we work hard and then we take a break and we take a holiday to rest and recharge and then we come back to work and we we go again until our our next holiday break and what the pandemic has taught us is that we actually can't rely on holidays as that almost like that stopgap measure to keep us in good shape and refreshed and recharged and also through the um, pandemic, many of us weren't taking holidays because we were going, oh, well, you know, there's no point, we can't go anywhere or we don't know when, you know, we might see the economic impact or, or whatever the case may be. So we've got a lot of us are um, exhausted and running on fumes and are behind in the holidays that, that we needed to take. And so we need to actually learn how to or learn or maybe a better word is retrain almost like our, our mindsets that refreshing and recharging and getting the rest that we need is something that we now need to build in as a daily practice as opposed to something that we do a couple of times a times times a year with 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 holidays and so I'm a big fan and I'm in the same place so I have a have a small business as well so I'm a big fan of making sure that at least once a month I'm taking a long weekend and what I mean by a long weekend is a Friday to Sunday break, which is a pure break from work and devices and time off and something that's outside of the house. Once a quarter, I'm making sure that I take a week off. And in the middle of the year and the end of the year, and obviously this is going to depend based on, you know, whether we have, you know, children and school holidays to, to manage or not. 
there's a good two 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 weeks two solid weeks worth of worth of break there. So I actually create a holiday or a rest map so that when life gets in the way, these things are actually in my calendar a, a year out. Now I know that not everybody is as um, well organized as I am, but one of the things I've found being a small business owner is that if I'm not mapping these out, they don't they don't actually happen. And, um, you know, the other thing I think particularly for us as uh, small business owners or working within small businesses is that we work, it's really interesting, we're in this like really new disruptive VUCA economy where everything is changing and there's no such thing, 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 thing as normal, but we're still working with an industrial age model of work. And what I mean by that is we have this view that work comes first and we focus our time and our energy and our resources on our work KPIs, so our performance, our sales, our profit, our productivity, all these types of things. And then our health and well-being is something that we almost view as a bit of a reward for performance. It's something that we sort of like stuff in in the cracks around that. But the reality is, is that our health and well-being is actually an enabler of performance. And I guess if there's one message I'm really passionate about that I'd like to, to share with people is that we actually need to start putting our health and our well-being first. And we've got close to 10 years worth of research now, Sean Aker out of Harvard University has actually shown that when we focus on our happiness, our health and our well-being first, then all of these performance measures, so things like our productivity, our ability to do sales, better quality relationships, our problem-solving abilities, things like our innovation and creativity, all increase by 9 to 30%. And so if we actually start to look at our morning and our morning routine and what we're doing as an investment in ourselves for our health and well-being first before we get into our day-to-day, we're going to be in better shape we're going to do better from a business perspective and we're not going to be limping to our to, to, to our holidays and we have more energy and, I guess, resilience reservoirs to be able to cope with whatever is being thrown at us that day, that week, that month. As, as we all know, we never, never quite know what's coming around the corner. So what are some practical ways we could manage our well-being on the day-to-day then, given um, the time constraints of a small business owner as well? Absolutely. So one of the things that we know um, from the positive psychology and performance psychology is we actually only need to do around 10 to 15 minutes first thing in the morning to actually give ourselves an optimism, a well-being and a happiness boost. So that could be 10 minutes of breathing. It could be 10 minutes of meditation. It could be putting on your shoes and taking the dog for a walk around a bigger block as, a, as opposed to a, a smaller block and getting outside in the sunlight and fresh air. So we don't need a lot, a lot of time for that. I also encourage um, people to think about how they start their mornings. So willpower is, a, is actually a finite resource and it's highest in the mornings. And so if we're putting off our exercise until the afternoon, there's more likely or we're going to be more likely not to do it because other things have come in our way and we're exhausted and it's going to be easier to sit on the couch than it is going to be to, to do our exercise. So what we do in the morning counts And it doesn't need to be a big dose, but it should be um, a a daily dose. And so if you can find space and place in your morning to get outside in the fresh air, in the sunshine, for a walk with the dog, 10 minutes of quiet time in some kind of mindfulness practice, whether it be 
um, breathing or a guided meditation or something like that, you're going to be able to clear your head and be able to focus on what your real priorities are for the day. And just the simple act of um, moving your mind and moving your body is actually enough to give you an energy and optimism boost for the day and you'll be able to achieve more than you otherwise would. And so what I'm sharing isn't actually rocket science, it's more around um, discipline and going back and actually having a look at what your morning routine looks like. Are you starting your day well or are you letting your day start you? Does that still apply if, say, you know how they talk about people having different chronotypes, so, you know, you're you're the morning person or, you know, you're the night owl or whatever, does it still apply if you're someone who's a night owl? Are you going to want to be up at the crack of dawn getting your fresh air and your exercise or would you be better pacing it to how you work? This is where I think the small doses help. So if you're more of a a, a night owl and you're, you know, absolutely not going to be getting out of bed at 6 a.m., how you start your morning, let's say getting out of the bed at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m., how you spend that first half an hour can still have a massive um, difference and positive impact on, on how, how you spend the day. So the cool thing is is it's not like how much time you spend, it's actually what, what, what the discipline is and making sure that you do those things to, to start your day off well. So if you're a night owl, you might want to do your major exercise in the afternoons if you're an exerciser and, you know, and that's absolutely something that, that I would recommend. I'm a big fan of bookending, but I'm certainly not going to add to anybody's um, stress by saying, guess what, let's, let's exercise morning, you know, morning, morning, and, morning and night. So we know that starting a day well um, has a huge impact on your ability to manage stress and your energy levels for the day. But we also know how you finish your evening, so how you actually set yourself up at the end of the day also has a big bearing on um, you know, whether you're going to be hitting snooze three times in the morning versus actually being able to get a bed, you know, get out of a bed and, and do things. So absolutely our chronotype is going to influence what type, you know, what times of the, the day we're going to be more or less likely or willing or, or happy to do things. But even if we are night owls, we can still be conscious around how we spend that first half an hour of our, our, our morning. Mm. And so you're talking about bookending the day. So what, what would be your kind of wind down activity that would be most beneficial to ensure that you're kind of shaking off those stresses from the day and getting the best sleep that you can? So many of us, because we're existing in our stress response and we've got so much going on and we've got these busy chattering minds and heads do struggle a little bit when it comes to comes to sleep and um, I'm certainly no, no, no different. And a few tips for how we can close our day well and prepare ourselves for sleep include things like having a hard stop for when we stop looking at work. And so I encourage everyone to have a hard stop when it comes to looking at emails or thinking about work at least two hours before you go to bed to give your mind an opportunity to disconnect from the, the processing and the speeding and, and, and the thinking, thinking about work and to start cueing your mind that it's time to get ready for sleep. The other thing that also comes from some of our um, physical sciences and exercise sciences is to not um, eat anything two to three hours before we go to bed. 
And this one I tend to find people struggle with a little bit more, but one of the things I want to share is that we have a sympathetic nervous system, so that's where our fight, flight or freeze and our stress response sits. And we also have a parasympathetic nervous system, and this one is called our rest and digest. So this is where our sense of calm and our readiness and our preparedness, I guess, to put our body to sleep comes from. And so if we're eating really close to when we need to go to bed, our rest and digest system is focusing on the digest and not so much on the rest. And so for many of us, we'll often have our evening meals late or we're out socialising late. And I really encourage people if there is at all um, an opportunity to sort of like to, to bring the closure of your, your eating a little bit further forward to set your body up more for success for sleeping, that will make a, a, really, a really big difference. And then the hour before bed, um, choose to do something that is going to help your mind to disconnect and to actively, actively I guess, get ready for rest. So it might be taking a lukewarm bath. We don't want a hot shower before we go to bed because heat is actually activating our body. So we want to be cooling our bodies, bodies down. Reading some fiction, listening to um, a podcast, um, spending time playing with our family or our puppy, those kind of activities that are going to help our brains to deactivate. Interestingly, TV and social media does not have the same kind of, a, kind of effect. So I'm just, just putting it out there even though it's not going to be a, a, a popular view. <laughs> right most most of us are mindlessly scrolling and realize all of a sudden that oh we should have gone to bed half an hour ago so you know there's there's been you know us being mindful around our our tv and our our social you know social media consumption as well we're not allowed our phones at night in my household <laughs> perfect <laughs> we've just got a, a phone ban i think otherwise it's with kids as well they'll be on their devices as as long as humanly possible if, if they can get away with it so oh absolutely and I think um one of the things I'd like to to share when it comes to to devices and, and social media as well is that um you know most of us will say that we don't get enough personal time in our day and one of the things I'd like to to, to share is that quite often especially in the morning when our alarms go off, we'll pick up our device and we'll automatically like start scrolling and reading to see what emails have come in or what's going on in the outside world. And one of the things that I've done that's made a massive difference to my mental health and well-being and my energy first thing in the morning is I don't actually start reading anything on my device until I get to work. And one of the views I'd like to offer, and this comes from Mel Robbins, she's got a fabulous um, podcast, is that our... Early morning time is our own precious time and this is when it's going to be most helpful for us to be energising and thinking about what we want to be doing during the day. And as soon as we let these external voices come in, whether it be emails or our social media or the news or whatever is going on, we're actually letting the external world come into our day and influence what it looks like and influence what our priorities are and influence what we end up doing. And so I think there's something really quite magical about choosing to keep that time of the day for ourselves. And I think it's the same same at night. Having an hour or so before you go to bed where social media is closed, work is closed, emails are closed, everything is closed off and you're either reconnecting with yourself or reconnecting with your family and your children is not only a great way to, you know, go to sleep with, you know, calm and care and connection, 
but it's also a nice way of saying to the rest of the world and to your mind, we're putting the rest of the world, you know, down down now. This is this, this is my time. This is my well-being time. Mm. Something I think would be great for everyone to adopt. I think we'd all feel so much better for it if we did. It's so simple, but so difficult. Mm. Yeah, I often wonder about the next generation coming up, just how much time they spend on on their devices. It's just, I just feel alarmed by it sometimes. And this is where deliberate choices and discipline make a really big difference. And in a world where we're so distracted by everything else going on and there's always so much going on in our external worlds, it's very easy for us to feel more out of control than in control. And another really important stress management strategy or skill that I speak about often with the people that I'm helping is the importance of making that distinction between the things that we can control and things that we can't. So if we think about the economy at the moment, many of us are you know, really concerned and worried about inflation and interest rates and the rising cost of almost every, every, everything around us. And while we can't do much about the rising costs, we can call our banks and ask what can be done. We can look at our budgets. We can figure out what we can prioritise. And I think it's really similar with our devices. So because our devices bring so much of the external world in, we kind of think that the emotions and what we get sucked into in terms of the, the scrolling and the feelings that we're are being invoked as a result of what's going on is something that we can't do much about. But we actually can put some times and some alarms and some restrictions and some do not disturbs and things on our devices. And I think particularly if we're concerned about our children and the young people around us, it's something that we can support them with in terms of discipline and structure until they've learned those routines for themselves. Yeah, I wonder how it's going to go like next term when New South Wales brings in the phone ban into schools. I think we're going to see some early resistance, but hopefully we'll also see some healthier behaviours as, 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 as long as, you know, we can, we can all actually like toe the line and give that, give that um, pilot a chance. Mm-hmm. So in terms of stress, is all stress bad or is there good stress? There is absolutely good stress. Actually, probably rather than rather than describing it there as, as good stress or bad stress, I probably prefer to frame it as healthy stress versus unhealthy stress. <laughs> so there are periods of time when stress oh, it's very is black and white of me. <laughs> good or bad. <laughs> not not at all. It's actually the way that most of us, you know, the way that most of us view things. And I guess one of the reasons why I like like taking good and good and bad out of vocabularies is it means, you know, we, we, we feel like we're either successful or something or we're a failure. Or you know something's worked, or you know something happens. We've we've mastered something, or you know we've you know made a fund, fundamental error. And stress actually isn't is you know isn't that 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 black and white. So that's why that's why I prefer to um, you know call it healthy stress versus unhealthy stress. So there are times when stress can be helpful and and healthy. So we have a big presentation coming up that means you know a lot to us, or we've got a major client, you know. Um, proposal that we've put forward and it's you know really important to us that we're you know we communicate what we need to and we secure the connection and the relationship that we need to be able to you know to 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 move forward and stress can be um 
Now, stress response can be really helpful because what it does is it gives us a burst of cortisol, it gives us a burst of adrenaline, it gives us a burst of energy, and it helps us to think faster, perform quicker, and and, and, and do, do, do some of those things that we need to in order to pull something really important out of you know the bag at a particular time so some stress is is helpful and healthy and some stress is also you know what our our bodies are prepared for and and are expecting so when stress starts to flip from healthy to unhealthy is when we start living in our stress response so our cortisol and our adrenaline production is designed to come in as a peak for when we need it in the moment, but it's also designed to be a short-term thing. So we should be having these stress peaks for you know a few minutes or maybe an hour or so at a time, and then our body re-regulates and goes back to almost like a, a, a normal or a rest type of function. But what's happening in terms of unhealthy stress is we're going from one stress to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and the next, and our body is continuing to pump out the adrenaline and cortisol, and our bodies aren't designed for that. And so when we're living in chronic stress, when we're heading towards um, burnout, that is when you know our mind and our body starts to start starts to, to to fall over because we're not providing it with the rest, the recharge and the opportunity to sort of like recalibrate our, our chemistry before moving moving on. Mm. So what would be some clear indicators of, of someone experiencing burnout? Yeah, so burnout is something that we're speaking a lot more about in the media, but on an everyday level of many of us sort of like still struggle a little bit to understand what's the difference between stress versus burnout, say a, a, a mental health issue. So how we know that something is what I would call, most call like a, a regular stress or, or an everyday stress is that we all tend to find that our emotions and our behaviours might be elevated or changed for a period of time in relation to some kind of pressure and that when the situation that we might be stressing over has resolved, then our stress response will naturally resolve itself. So going back to that rest state that I was talking about before. When we are starting to experience burnout or we're sort of like um, trending towards burnout, there's three specific things that we want to be looking out for. The first one is exhaustion, and I think most people are quite familiar with, with what exhaustion, exhaustion feels like. But many people sort of like bandy around the term burnout when what they actually mean is exhaustion. So with that exhaustion, what we're talking about here is a physical, a mental, and an emotional exhaustion. So we're completely exhausted. The second sign for us when it comes to burnout is a sense of disconnection or disengagement. And what that might look like is apathy over topics that we would usually care passionately about. It might look like excessive negativity. Oh, look, nothing I say means anything anyway. It might sound like cynicism. We've tried that before and no one cared last time, so why should we care now? So there's this real sort of like mental disengagement or, or disconnection from, 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 from what, what we're facing. And from a small business um, owner perspective as well, it actually might feel like really struggling to engage in stuff that is really important for your business. You're just feeling maybe like a sense of, of numb or there's just like no mental energy left in the tank. 
And then our third sign for burnout is we start to see it affecting our productivity. So things that um, so things are taking longer than they usually would. We're not getting as much done in the day. We're not delivering stuff to the same quality that we would usually do. We're making more mistakes or we're forgetting things. And so there's three aspects to, to burnout. There's the exhaustion, but there's also disconnection and there's also a loss of e- efficacy. And that's how we can start to tell the difference between sort of like everyday stresses versus chronic stress that's leading us into burnout. So what if I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, oh, I recognise some of those symptoms. What, what's the first thing I need to do to help me on the road to recovery? So the first thing that we need to do is recognise which of those aspects of, of burnout that we are experiencing And particularly with exhaustion, it's not going to get solved by taking a two-week holiday and hoping miraculously that we're going to, you know, that that, that we're going to come back well well and fine. We need to take some time out. We need to look at our health practices. And I really encourage people to speak to their GP or health practitioner around what it is that they need to to do to... um, ensure that they've got some physical strategies and some physical routine routines in place we also then need to actually have a good hard look at our priorities and how much we're trying to do within a period of time and actually recognize that for us to get well we actually need to start doing work a little bit differently and to be kind to ourselves while we're figuring this out and know that it's absolutely normal and natural that we're not able to get as much work done as we usually would but one of the things about burnout is is that it is for all intents and purposes of work related scenario so we need to do some of the personal care things to start shoring up our energy and our health but we also need to look at our ways of working how many hours are we working how much are we trying to do what kind of support do we have in place and be a lot stricter with ourselves around what our priorities really are and the help that we need to get things done. Mm. So is it also important that business owners are checking in with their staff as well, making sure that they're managing their health and well-being on the day-to-day? Absolutely. So one of my mantras is people that are well do well. And we also know that people that aren't well are doing well at the moment, but it's not sustainable and we're starting to fall over and we're, we're, we're seeing that in terms of those, those, those reports in the media. And so as small business owners we need to be vigilant around supporting our people at work to be well in order to do well but also we have a legal obligation to provide a psychologically safe workplace and as of April and with the updated workplace health and safety act um, we also now have a responsibility to ensure that we are minimising the risk of psychosocial hazards. Now, psychosocial hazards is one of those sort of like academic-y, technical, regulatory kind of words where you kind of go, yeah, but what does that actually mean? And in layman's language, as small business owners, we actually now have a responsibility to ensure that our staff aren't becoming overwhelmed and that they're not becoming burdened with workloads that they cannot healthily undertake and perform that may lead to stress or chronic stress. So we have a duty of care, I think anyway, to our people regardless of regulations, 
but our Australian government has also recognised that the way that we've been working and the pressure and the workloads and I guess our ways of working as well are contributing to unsafe or unpsychologically safe workplaces. So we have a regulatory duty of care as well to make sure that our, our staff are well when they are at work. Hmm. Do you think it's also um, partly, I know a remote work and flexible work is a great thing, but it's it's there's also um, two sides to that coin. You know, if you're someone that's working at, at home and you work at home all the time now, well, when do you not work? How do you maintain that balance and make sure that, you know, when it's time to switch off, you're actually switching off? Absolutely. So every single one of us is going to have different, I guess, you know, preferences, different ways of working that is going to bring out the the best in us and also different risks when it comes to potentially our, our health and wellbeing when it, when, when it com- comes to work. And so... Um, you know, many many people appreciate the flexibility of of, of work, working f- working from home, and will work longer hours potentially because they have flexibility to pick up kids from school or go to doctor's appointments or whatever the case may be. Vice versa, we've got other people that absolutely hate working on their own that love office time and 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 need the you know need the need the human contact, and so too much time at at home and not enough time with colleagues is something that can dampen their engagement and motivation and enthusiasm and, and um, you know, the, the way that they, they like to work. And so we don't actually have a one-size-fits-all. We have an important role as, as business owners to actually be having the conversations that we need with our staff to understand what's working well in terms of their well-being and their, the way that they like to perform and their, their outputs, but also having a conversation with them around what it is that they're struggling with when it comes to their well-being. So for people in your instance, um, Cess, that you just shared with that example who are struggling to put a, a cap at the end of, you know, cap at the end of the day in terms of when, when work stops, it might be agreeing on what a hard stop is and what, what a hard stop looks like. So for example, in my team, um, I have I have a, a core team member who works completely from home who has small children and so will work quite late in the evening and also prefers to work on weekends because during the the week, particularly around school hours and for school sports and so forth, they appreciate that time for themselves and their family. And so we've had a conversation that says, okay, if your preference is working at night or work at weekends, what does that look like? And let's put together a map that says, hey, is this a reasonable, you know, is, is this a reasonable workload and what does it look like? So it's really important for us to have those 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 conversations and be clear up front around what reasonable workload and reasonable working hours looks like for each individual. Mm. And also for the business owner to walk the talk as well, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, you know, for me I'm 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 the opposite. It's like I need my weekends for, you know, for for downtime. And so in the instance where one of my core team members does a lot of work on, on, on the weekend, she'll put together that work, but she won't actually send anything through to me until the Monday. So I don't have work pinging on the weekend when I need time out. So it's, it's, it's around having those conversations and working out those routines and rituals that will enable great performance, but also be respectful of how people need to, need to work and what their downtime looks like. Mm. Where do you stand on notifications? 
disable them? <laughs> Are they just eroding every minute of our day? Uh, absolutely. So I do disable notifications. I absolutely loathe um, dings and sounds and pings when messages um, come in. One of the things that the research shows us is that each time we are distracted by something new, we actually lose something close to 10 minutes worth of productivity on whatever the task was that we were working on beforehand because our brain is moving to whatever the notification is, looking at it, processing it, and then we've got to come back and recalibrate with where we are to where we're going. And so one of the things that I'm a, I'm a huge believer in is, is deactivating notifications and if they're You've got, you know, certain numbers and obviously people in your family where you do want emergency um, notifications to come through, you can actually activate those as emergency notifications. And so I'll look at my emails in batches. So I'll do a morning batch and I'll do an afternoon batch and I'll use my time in between to either do deep work or obviously when I'm facilitating workshops, I'm completely present with present, present with the workshop. But yeah, I absolutely loathe notifications and the disruption and distractions that they bring. So I think that's a really simple thing um, that most of us could actually look at. What notifications do we really need versus, you know, what we actually have going on and how can we get some of our time back and our mental energy back for ourselves? Mm. And, and sometimes when you initially put an app onto your phone or whatever, it just automatically put, switch those notifications on and you're just getting pinged constantly by Pet Barn or something. <laughs> Absolutely. It suits them but it doesn't suit us. So I think that's a, a classic example, Cess, of where we need to take back control for ourselves and it's actually as simple as switching a button to off. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe we've run out of time. Um, any final tips for our for our listeners about de-stressing and managing their their mental health and well-being the main message I'd just like to share with people is that if we start to think of well-being as an investment and well-being as an enabler of our performance instead of as a reward for performance just that simple switch will help us to I guess engage on a daily basis with a better relationship for our health and our well-being and our, our stress management. So breaks during the day and being okay to recognise when we're feeling stressed and taking some time out just to interrogate what that might be are really healthy ways of making sure that our stress isn't building up to a point where we're starting to get burnt out or we're feeling out of control. So thank you for the opportunity to share I guess some some ways to reconsider resilience and stress and well-being particularly during another challenging time so this economic uncertainty and stability so if we can look at well-being as something that we do every day to make sure that we are well beings I think that will be a, a healthier frame than than where we've come from over the last few years yeah for sure and I just think keeping that dialogue open having having conversations like these and talking to your friends checking in with people it's all part and parcel of making sure everyone's doing the best that they can and they're feeling the best that they can absolutely yeah thank you thanks again Fleur I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with us your book Resilience Recipes that's still out and about I'm sure where can we get it now yeah, Resilience Recipes is still available on Amazon Booktopia and it's back in 
endemics. It actually won the Health and Wellbeing Award for 2022 in the Australian Business Book Awards. So um, it is it is still still out there. And then if you would like help with having better conversations with your teams, my new book, Leading Wellbeing, which is a leader's guide to mental health conversations at work, is also available out now from Dimmicks to Booktopia to Amazon. I think we've got Harry Hartogs in New South Wales. So yeah, I really encourage you that if you found some useful tips from today to uh, check out check out my books because they'll give you some great resources for both yourself in terms of better well-being but also around how you can have better conversations with your staff about theirs. Hmm. Thank you. Thanks again, Fleur. I really appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Cess. Appreciate you having me.